Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of JP Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is on private equity and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm David Lebowitz, global market strategist and host of the Center for Investment Excellence. With me today is Larry Unrein, the global head of private equity at JP Morgan. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Thank you, David. Thanks for having us today. For listeners who missed our most recent episode, all upcoming Center for Investment Excellence episodes will focus on current market volatility, the impact on various asset classes, and how investors can best position themselves to withstand both current and future market conditions. Today, we will be discussing private equity, exploring how COVID-19, the Fed's recent rate cut, and market volatility are impacting the sector. Private equity has demonstrated an ability to outperform traditional asset classes over the long term, and the best way to go about investing within this space is front of mind for many investors and clients. So kicking it off here, Larry, we would love to get a sense of what you were seeing across the private equity universe before the onset of COVID-19. In other words, as the calendar turned from 2019 to 2020, what were some of the trends that you were observing across the private equity space broadly? Yeah, sure. From a calendar perspective, it's not that long ago, but as you can probably agree with David, boy, has things changed quite a bit. You know, when we typically get toward the end of the year in December, we like to do both a retrospective and an outlook. And as we sort of ended 2019 coming into early 2020, in many cases, it was very much more of the same in the sense that you had a lot of private equity activity. There was a lot of capital, a lot of equity capital in the private equity markets. There was an abundance of debt that was available. It was also available on very, very good terms. If you looked at valuation multiples, they clearly were at the higher end. You put that in the context of very strong capital markets, pretty much anywhere you looked across the board. I mean, you had very strong equity markets around the world. You had high yield credit spreads at record levels of tightness. So it was very much more of the same. And then the underlying business trends were also very, very good and very, very strong. Then, if I could, you know, a little bit in January of 2020, we clearly were paying a lot of attention to China and our portfolio exposures there. And we're very much getting our arms around the suddenness of change. We roll ahead to today, and in many respects, the things Almost everything that we were focused on and looked at in December and early January is pretty much off the table now because you have this almost unprecedented government declaration of reduction of large scale of economic activity. And businesses, no matter how well managed they are or how much they plan, are certainly hard to plan around essentially all of your revenues just stopping. So we are very much in an unprecedented situation as we look out going forward. I want to come back and revisit that topic of what might be in store for private equity over the next couple of quarters and how you're thinking about what the economic impact may look like broadly and at the industry level, if you have that type of insight. But you mentioned China in your opening remarks, and I can confirm that China was a hot topic in a lot of my client conversations kind of going into the end of last year and the beginning of this year, for sure, as COVID you know, escalated in that part of the world first. 
What are your thoughts around how this current crisis will impact not only the growth that we were seeing in terms of investor interest in tapping China from a private market perspective, but how you think that asset class may evolve going forward and what some of the opportunities may look like from your vantage point? We have also been spending, as you would imagine, a lot of time looking at our investments in China, talking with different parts of our network about activities in China, looking at different businesses. Spent a lot of time last week on the phone with our on-the-ground joint venture partner in Beijing and a number of things. I think clearly activity is starting. It's not normal, but it's starting very much to move back to normal slowly, constructively. You know, there's even discussion that I think last report I heard there was no new cases in Wuhan for at least the last five days. And there's an anticipation in early April that assuming that continues that they will move back. And I think Beijing has been over two weeks now where essentially there's been no new cases. And if you look at traffic patterns around Beijing, it's not normal, but it's kind of like what it looks like during a heavy vacation period. I think there are a couple of things, potentially. I do think you know, China took a big economic hit in the first few months in the first quarter, expected that will recover. An insight that somebody gave me who was comparing this to SARS, and I don't see any reason to really challenge this, which was that they would expect that the percentage growth will not be as significant as what we saw back in 04, largely because you're dealing with a much bigger denominator in terms of the overall economy. I think the other thing where there may be some real opportunities in the private side is, and I think you might see this not only in China, but in other parts of the world, which is, look, there are going to be real changes as a result of this, I think. When you think about little things that change, and certainly after 9-11, we saw real changes. And for those who weren't around, believe it or not, you used to be able to walk into an airport and get on a plane. Now, in the U.S. alone, they had the TSA, which is hundreds of thousands of people, used to be able to walk in an office building. Security and changes around that were big and structural. But I wouldn't be surprised if, for a period of time, we see real changes in purchasing behavior on the part of consumers, which will favor even more some of the online activities that were somewhat imposed here during some of the quarantine activity. I think that that's an area. But I also think how people think about things and behave will also create some real changes and maybe some opportunities. I couldn't agree more. I think one of the underappreciated elements of this whole thing is what does it mean for human behavior going forward? And, you know, a lot of the sell side community is talking about this V-shaped or this U-shaped bounce back in economic activity. I mean, inherently, this is a temporary pause for the global economy. But you do have to ask yourself, does consumer behavior change in a way that it alters the trajectory of the recovery, perhaps more meaningfully than what folks are currently pricing in? And that actually brings me to my next question. You know, we look ahead here Over the next couple of quarters, we think that we're in store for a relatively deep, but hopefully fairly short contraction in the global economy. Earnings are under pressure. We've marked down our earnings forecast this year to show contraction. Valuations have re-rated. What do you think this means for private equity as an asset class, both in the medium term and the longer term? I mean, do you see value being created? And then additionally, how does the election fit into this whole dynamic? would love your thoughts on how things may evolve from this point going forward. Yeah, I think from a private equity perspective that I would agree with your other point, which is we are going to see, obviously, we're seeing a very sudden downturn and decline. The extent and duration of that will have a lot of impact on how 
and when it recovers. But from a private equity investor's perspective, I would sense that, as I pointed out or alluded to, there will certainly be economic damage inflicted. Again, companies are now faced with, particularly in certain sectors, revenue scenarios that they just no way could have adequately planned for. But I also think, and you know, we've been a business here at J.P. Morgan and alongside myself, quite a few number of the team since the late 1990s. And we saw the tech bubble in 99, 2000. We saw 9-11. We saw the subsequent credit issues and recession. We saw the buildup in 06 and 07, and then the unwind in 08 and 09. And again, there are differences here, but there are some similarities. And I really would expect that there is going to be some very attractive opportunities to make investments. And I actually think the kind of investment opportunities that we're really focused on, and I don't have clarity yet on exactly, although I have some areas that we are really looking at as potential sources of opportunity, particularly where leverage and other opportunities create real pressures for folks. But I think that there's going to be some real opportunities to make very compelling investments. And I go back to the 08 and 09 period, and we took advantage of some of this illiquidity What was interesting at the time, and I think this will hold true at least initially too, is that we were able to make some really attractive investments and to take advantage of people who had real liquidity issues and liquidity concerns. But we were able to make those investments and underwrite that the world that existed back in 08 and 09 would continue and those investments would still be attractive. So it's important to me you also focus on the risk side of it, particularly initially, because I don't sense a real need. I think you can get private equity returns without necessarily taking a lot of risk. And I think initially what you don't want to have to do is make some great heroic assumptions about what the world is going to look like in six or nine or 12 or 24 months. And I think that potentially is the real sort of opportunity. I kind of avoid in both my sort of personal and professional life talking about politics because that doesn't really lead to very much. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of division. There has been in the U.S. for a number of years. This is a period where I think it requires unity and focus. And just looking at the last number of days at some of the rhetoric going back and forth, some of these industries, they didn't mandate that all of a sudden they had no customers. And I think we're in unprecedented ground, but I certainly do think that elections do and have consequences, and whether there is a change that's either pro or anti-business on the margin will certainly impact not only our business, but returns and economic activity across the spectrum. Absolutely. I share your view on discussing politics. To me, it's much more about policy than the politics themselves, right? Because policy actually has an impact on the investment landscape over time. So maybe just one final question here to kind of tie everything together. You mentioned that you think that there's some opportunity being created and you try to avoid making heroic assumptions as to the way the world is going to look on a forward basis. How are you thinking about 
allocating to different parts of the private equity market going forward? You know, are you going to be leaning more into the primary space? Do you think that there's opportunity in secondaries? And kind of the follow on is how should investors think about allocating to private equity if they're existing investors or if they're perhaps a bit new to the space? So, you know, to kind of summarize that, where do you think you're going to be finding the most opportunity going forward? And then how should investors think about establishing either new positions or existing positions, given what lies ahead? An important thing to note about, say, private equity versus public equity investing. And David, you're very aware of public markets. But when you look at, and I'll use our own company, J.P. Morgan, when you look at the share of stock of J.P. Morgan, it's moved from about 140 to 80 and all around in the last number of weeks, right? Which is a really significant move. But I don't think that that reflects what the overall value of the business is, right? I think if you knocked on the door and said to the board of directors of the company, I want to, you know, buy the business for stocks 80, I'll offer you 100, they're not going to really take that very seriously. So I would expect a lot of normal private equity activities to slow here because there'll be a big bid-ask spread. So if you have a good business, you're probably not going to sell it in an environment when multiples and valuations are lower. And I certainly expect to see multiples and valuations be lower. I also think that debt financing is likely to be harder to get. And if it is available, it'll be available in lesser amounts and with more stringent terms. So I think that in the near term, the activities are going to be around places of illiquidity, whether those are positions. And we have some real clear and very strong views about opportunities, particularly for people who are in debt circumstances and liquidity perspective. I also think if you look at individual businesses, that might be really, really good businesses and there might be an opportunity. So I think those are going to be the areas. So it's going to be very investment specific as opposed to sort of macro. But I really do think that we're going to see some really good opportunities here and we're very much focused on it. And, you know, I think from investors perspective, I think that there's a tendency for investors sometimes to be concerned about liquidity or allocation percentages and other things. But I really believe, and our history over time has been, is that in periods like this, it tends to be some of the best opportunities that present themselves. So whether you're new or existing, I think that you should be open to compelling opportunities because I really do believe that you will be rewarded. And I think you can find good returns at very attractive levels of risk over the next number of months. Excellent. Larry, this was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on the Center for Investment Excellence. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us today on J.P. Morgan's Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts and on our website. Recorded on March 25th, 2020. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the JP Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This document is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only.
It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at https colon slash slash am dot jpmorgan.com slash global slash privacy. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, UK, Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other European jurisdictions by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe S. A. Grave R.L. In Hong Kong by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Asia Pacific, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds, Asia, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia, Limited. In Singapore by J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Singapore, Limited, Company, Reg, No. 197,601,586K. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Taiwan by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan, Limited. In Japan by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Japan, Limited which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association. Type 2 Financial Instruments Firms Association and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency. Registration Number Kanto Local Finance Bureau. Financial Instruments Firm. Number 330. In Australia to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001. CTH by JP Morgan Asset Management. Australia. Limited. ABN 55,143,832,080, AFSL 376,919, in Brazil by Banco JP, Morgan SA, in Canada for institutional clients use only by JP Morgan Asset Management, Canada Inc., 
and in the United States by J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Inc., member of FINRA, J.P. Morgan Investment Management, Inc. or J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management, Inc. In APIC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan and Singapore. For all other markets in APIC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2020 J.P. Morgan Chase & Company All Rights Reserved.